On today's show, Cavs preseason basketball is here. They lost, but there's some notable things about shooting and a little bit of rotation questions. So we'll talk about on today's episode. You are Locked On Cavs, your daily Cleveland Cavaliers podcast. Music you heard on the way in is from our friends at Astro Radio. I am Chris Manning. That is Evan Dameril. With thanks again to Jake Stevens for his work on production. Want to tell you too that today's episode is brought to you by Jace Medical. Empower yourself when you purchase a Jace case, providing you with a personal supply of five antibiotics that treat 50 plus infections. Get yours today at jacemedical.com. That's J-A-S-E medical.com. All right, today's show is getting back into the rhythm. It is getting back into game coverage here at Lockdown Cavs. And we're going to start, as we do every game, feels like we never left. It's like putting on a, an old comfy pair of sweatpants or something. It's a big takeaway. Evan, what's your big takeaway from, from Cavs-Hawks? A 108-107 Cavs loss, but it's the preseason. So who gives a uh, swear word I can't say in this program about the actual result? Kids, if you're listening with your parents, ask what the swear word may or may not be. But my main takeaway for this one would have to be that in terms of the new faces, whether it's Max Struess or George Yang or even Ty Jerome, who played through a lot of first half foul trouble in the second half. But like those guys combined for doing the math right now, nine of Cleveland's 48 three point attempts. Again, it's a small sample size because Struess didn't play in the second half. Uh, Yang tapered off a little bit in the third quarter. but. It's indicative, at least, that the Cavs are going to be a little bit more three-point happy, and it does go hand-in-hand with what Kobe Altman said in the fact that the Cavs need to modernize their offensive approach a little bit and add more three-pointers to their diet on offense. And it it clearly showed at times tonight. Like The first play of the game was getting Max Struess a pretty look from three-point range to uh, open things up for Cleveland, and it it just became clear to me, like, yeah, they're prioritizing the three a little bit more than they did last season. Yeah, I, I think the offense was the was the takeaway. It's the it's how it looked differently. There's a stat that we'll get to when we get to awards in segment two. That to me explains a lot of that. But it just it looked different. If you just watched that and didn't look at a box score, didn't look at anything else besides just watching the game, and you were familiar with how it looked last year. If you'd watched this team last year, before even I think to some degree, and then you watch this, this look like a different team. Why, Evan, why do you have sunglasses on? to give the listeners slash viewers the guys that we didn't record two episodes in the same night. So this I, is I a think, different look. I think I you can read just, just fine. Them. So, okay. I, I can see your white shirt and your judgmental appearance. I, Don't worry. I'm wearing, yes, I'm wearing the same exact thing because guess what? You got to get your work done. And guess what? You wear the same stuff sometimes. This is just. All right. The sunglasses are off. I see Chris is not a fan of sunglasses at night. Hit not, song. Not it, go not, ahead. In, 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 indoors in your home, it's, it's just tough. But the offense is the story, right? Like, Max Struess is out here taking three-pointers in the pocket that, like, the Cavs didn't have, like, any role players that they took last oh, year. Oh, gosh. Right? Like, no. That, that's, like, that, that, like, that became... When he took that shot and made it, and also the fact that, like, he was taking three-pointers in general, I'm like, yeah, the Cavs yeah. Uh, didn't have this last season. And 
No. Obviously, like no. the shooting percentages, if you look at it from the box score perspective, you're like, oh my gosh, the newcomers and the regulars are just not hitting the, their shots at all for Cleveland. Um, that's uh, part and parcel of the preseason. You let these guys kind of find their legs a little bit, and that's like a small takeaway of mine. It's just like, this is very much a preseason game where both teams are kind of playing their way back into shape a little bit. And yeah, but like to your point, um, the Cavs didn't have that kind of edge to them offensively last year. What like stood out to me was was two things. I think it's obviously the shooting. It's just the three point volume. It's the spacing, and then I I think it's just how everything moved. I mean, they moved faster. It felt more intentional. Like they're getting like the sets are starting at like nineteen seconds instead of fifteen seconds. That that's a big difference in when you have twenty four seconds to maximize a possession. And then and then obviously Evan Mobley is really at the the center of this. They they didn't do what we expected, which was start Damian Jones. They went with Karis Levert. What that did was that put Mobley literally and figuratively at the center of things, and they ran a ton of sets through him. They, we'll talk about that a little bit more later. But this was they they gave him DHOs. They things kind of flowed in and out around him in terms of pick and rolls, and it's based off of him. That that is such a change. That is such a positive start. That that is such a distinct saying. Hey, like we we're going to do something different. And yes, this is the the ground floor. This is the baseline. But it. Everything about this to me, Evan, really just like looked different coming off of all that. And the personnel matters, but the intentionality, I think, really stood out too. I think intentionality is a good way to put it. it just how the Cavs were flowing within their offense, how they were getting their shots. And uh, I did note my like small note takeaway that Mobley kind of fizzled, like just playing the five purely, but like the offense did flow through him quite a bit. Like there was actions in ways the Cavs were reading and reacting that he was very much involved within the offense, whether it was through pick and rolls, as you said, or DHOs, or just he had a presence even when he wasn't shooting the ball. But I am interested to see again how this evolution continues for Cleveland because it can be hard to iron out some bad or ha- more bad habits or maybe just like what is reliable in being a pick and roll heavy offense and be kind of becoming one of a vanilla one note offense. like. Can the Cavs exercise their demons enough from last season to really fully embrace this new offensive flow? I hope so, because based on what we saw tonight, you're like, yeah, the vision is there. Let's just see them keep executing it against not just each other in training camp or in practices, but against other full-fledged opponents and see kind of what the vision can be uh, for J.B. Bickerstaff and this Cavs squad um, just heading into this season. Just let's I well I think we have some other things to hit on later, but did um did was anything in particular to you and as any was any part of this particularly interesting? Was any part of this uh, particularly surprising? Like, like was any part of this to you like the, the the key over anything else that you think about the offense? And or if there's any one player that was particularly notable. So my original MVP pick was before he uh I won't spoil who it is. But before my MVP kind of put together a solid second half, um, my MVP pick was just George Yang, just from the aspect of, okay, yeah, he has three-pointer, sees three-pointer, will take and possibly make three-pointers. He was two of four from three-point range in this game. But like, that was I'm like, okay, I, I see the vision. Or like Struess, like that, that's just what popped me. It's just like, okay, the Cavs went out and got arguably for what they could afford and for price point and et cetera, like, the best three point shooters on the market for them. And I'm curious to see how like flow within um, just the star players at the top, because these are two role players that you're integrating into your offense. But like 
they will unlock a lot of things. And like, that's just something that popped for me in the first half and the second half, like there were some moments, but it was mostly just garbage time basketball until, um, Sam Merrill decided to stop shooting so many shots. But other than that, like it was a pretty fun first half. And you know, like, it gives you some, like, we, we talked about this leading up to this episode and we previewed this game. Um, there's not going to be a ton of meat on the bone, but like there's a little bit for me to chew on. Maybe it's like a little bit of gristle, a little bit of meat as well, but there's something for me to ponder upon and say like, okay, what do they do against a very lanky and long Orlando team on Thursday? And do they kind of like fully lean into more things at work or do they punt the football entirely and like say, okay, we're going to start Damian Jones at the five and have him play at the four and just see how that works. Yeah. I liked, I, I liked just the, the, that they leaned into that, small part of it because I think the Mobley at the five lineups are going to be such a key part of this year and I I think I think understanding that they weren't perfect yeah is part of this process this whole thing this whole offensive evolution whatever it is it's going to be a process for months and months and games like that's just what the reality is but I think that the start as much as you can take away from a half of a preseason game at least was um, encouraging and not against the full like strength Atlanta team. You don't have Jared Allen, so like it's imperfect and not like film you necessarily told them to rewatch. If you're us, the team surely will, but it's it's a good baseline for what's to come. And looking forward to see how they follow it up on Thursday. All right, coming up, game awards of this year. First time it's going to be MVP, stat of the night, play of the night. Let's talk about that coming up next. Today's episode is brought to you by Jace Medical and the Jace Case, aforementioned Jace Medical. The Jace Case provides five life-saving antibiotics for emergency use. All it takes to get a Jace Case is to fill out a simple online form and in some cases jump on a quick call with one of their board-certified physicians. You don't want to be caught unprepared. Everyone can be empowered to take care of themselves and loved ones during times for the unexpected. They know everything from online evaluations to licensed pharmacy medication delivery and ongoing consultation and care. It's simple. You go online, you fill out a form, and then you get a prescription life-saving medications right to your door. You're a customer, for instance, named Frank, who said, quote, easy is one, two, three, and just in time. I received our package the same day I got a sinus infection. My doctor was out of town. No appointments for days. Thank goodness it arrived in and quote there. So get $20 off on these life-saving antibiotics from Jace Medical by using our code locked on at checkout at jacemedical.com. That's J-A-S-E medical.com. Game Awards, Evan, MVP, who is it for you? It's Isaac Boro. Um, like I said, originally it was George Yang just from a pure shooting aspect, but like a Coro had a quietly pretty nice game. Um, I think it's pretty clear like he's not a for sure penned in, maybe written blood uh, guy like for the eight, nine man rotation. He's one of those fringe dudes who could be maybe fighting for minutes through camp and preseason play. But like he put together a pretty nice game and I believe it was midway in the third quarter. Like he shot a three pointer that was with confidence. And I noted this with my MVP award, like he was two or three from three point range in this game tonight. And if you're Cleveland and if you're Isaac Okoro, the best way to be impactful on the floor offensively is obviously with your slashing. But like if your three point shot isn't abandoning you and it's somewhat semi reliable in terms of just like accuracy and efficiency, de- depending on the limited opportunities you get, like, yeah, this is a good momentum builder for Okoro. I'm like, you know what? I'm like, yeah, he had a pretty solid game overall. Uh, who's your pick? 
Uh, I, I was gonna. I want to talk about Akora in segment three. Let's just do it now. I really liked his game. I this isn't surprising. I am. I I am who I am. You know, like I'm just gonna look at this and be like, yeah. But look, was fluid with the ball. I thought moved. It was a little more active once the ball got his hands. Like he actually moved, and it was yeah. nice to see him, Evan, not like just standing in the corner. Like he was above the break, and that was like, oh, he's being positioned differently for whatever reason, and and that felt pretty notable. And he did his normal defensive stuff. He had a really nice and one on the break. Like I think you come away from this just being like, okay, like there there's some improvement that maybe happened here, and we'll see how it bears out. But like I would I would be feeling optimistic to some degree if I if I'd seen this, and that was like, okay, he looked he he just looked improved at least based on where we left him last year. Yeah, and I think you and I are on the same page as that. And to touch on what I said in the first segment, like the Cavs want to take things from the first half that were successful, or maybe this game overall, like ways they positioned Okoro that weren't conventional compared to last year, or quote unquote putting him in a box, as JB Bickerstaff would put it. Like these are ways that you can utilize Isaac Okoro to make him functional within the offense. Obviously, he's a role player in the grand scheme of things, but like at least make him functional and compliment the fact that he is your best point of attack defender heading into this year so he's not a liability on one end of the court so he can continue to get the bonus that he provides you on the other end of the court my mvp is evan mobley uh i understand he wasn't perfect but i thought active defensive game i thought he was pretty good in in the things they try to use him as a hub and i just like that he was very much just at the the center of everything i think he looked a little more comfortable once they brought damian jones on but i think that makes sense and i i just think he kind of did everything you would have wanted him to do um, and what you asked. But stat, Evan, mind, 22 first half threes for the Cavs. Cleveland averaged 31.6 a game last year. They just were like, they were just like, okay, we're going to shoot a bunch of threes. Bet that, like, again, one game. It is one half that we're pulling this from, from the guys that are starters. This could be like an anomaly. That will happen. That things will, like, not really prove out to be true based on what we see in small samples. That's how that works. But 22 first half threes is such an, again, intentional stylistic difference that it, it you have to look at it to me and think, okay, is this a sign of, of things to come here? Yeah. And I'll just, you, you teed me up a little bit here. My stat of the night is like 55.8% of Cleveland shot attempts were from three point range. I think Sam Merrill alone in the second half skewed this statistic a little bit, but just last year, letting him fly. Oh, Good for him. Respect it. You know, if you want to crack a rotation, you got to make an impression somehow. But for reference, last year's average during the season, maybe regular season, I did some lazy basketball reference searching. But um, last year's average was thirty one point four percent of what their attempts were coming in or coming from three point range. And as Chris said, it is preseason, so you can't like you have to like take this with a grain of salt. Like you can't assume like, oh yeah, the Cavs are a three-point heavy offense, but just seeing that touch of modernity, again, puts in perspective like how important the additions of like Struess and Yang were, but more so the fact that like the Cavs really are um, practicing what they preach in terms of just finding more clean three-point looks and kind of letting the motion within their offense and the off-ball screens and the third and fourth reads within the offensive play like really kind of dictate the flow at times. Like it is refreshing to see the Cavs kind of run something that isn't so one note at times um, on offense. The number, the so here's the final percentages from cleaning the glass. It's, it's, holy, holy crap. Oh. This is just, it's just very funny to like, 
last year you'd go on like so cleaning the glass like they have blue for like lower ends of the percentiles and orange for the the higher and they get darker um for how like higher how like darker they like deeper they are lower they are last year like the mid-range was like a pretty like easy thing um like a pretty common thing and this year it's just like pretty dark blue in this 33 percent of their shots at the rim 52 percent of them from three uh that the three point percentage would be 92nd percentile if you did it over the course of every team last year the highest percentage of a team in the league last year was Golden State taking 44.7% of their shots from three. The league average was 35.5. This is just like, again, this just looked different. It, it felt different. It, it, it's it, that's it felt, not going to be the real number, but. No, but like you said, the league average last year was 35.5. Yeah, Cavs were like a percentage, uh, like a, a full point and a half under that. Like, Yeah, like they, they were a below average team in terms of three-point shooting. I think. Chris and I aren't trying to be like fully cynical here, but it's also a product of playing like bigger basketball like this and obviously not having Larry Markman on the floor either. But I, again, am interested to see and fascinated to see like when the pressure is on, um, do the Cavs really lean into this new identity? Because if it they do, like it's going to make life so much easier for them on offense. And then they don't have to expend so much energy dr- grinding out every single. Yeah, it's it's. Again, like you get the personnel, like this is kind of like what you do. Like you committed to some version of this, um, in a way that I think is interesting. We'll see. Again, I know they're not going to shoot that many threes every game. They're going to get some mid rangers in there and things and more dunks, I would imagine. But this is something. All right, quickly, we will do play of the night. Mine's very simple. It's it's the first Max Drews three. That is literally a three pointer that I. They barely ever had someone take last year, and it's the it's a it's the uh, Steve Jones who does a dunker spot with Nikias does a great job. Obviously, he's like, oh, this is why Cleveland got Max Struess. It's like, yeah, they got him to just be there to stand above the break and let a three fly, yeah, and take the kind of shot no one did last year. That's my play. What's your? Uh, he's a safety valve, Max Struess. But um, about one minute left in the first quarter, Levert uses his handle and dribble moves to break down. On the Hong Kong women isolation, and it kind of gave you shades of the old Levert with a heavy touch of this game being like shades of the Levert of last season. And I'm interested to see what he is offensively with so much spacing around him. But a quick honorable mention to Austin Carr uh, manifesting Taylor Swift attending the Kelsey bobblehead night um, in March in 2024. Uh, I also would say that I think Craig Porter's junior dunk probably should get a like some love and some consideration here. That was a good late game play. There there's something there with Porter Jr. He needs some time to rough out the edges with Mike Garrity and the charge, but like did say that the vision long term is for him to be like a backup guard off the bench with the Cavs. And he could be that dude who like he's really well in the G League this upcoming season and then maybe has to do a few more things to prove he can get like a long term contract. But like could be one of those like back end role player rotation guys for Cleveland. Yeah, he I thought he was the most interesting of the two way guys. Really? I thought Bates was awesome in his like 15 he, minutes. Yeah, I just thought Porter like did a little more like two way stuff. Bates just kind of like did a Moni Bates like bucket stuff. I just thought Porter Jr. was like a little more fair enough overall. Yeah, but that'd also just be, be my. Biased towards like what kind of players I like. It's very possible. All right, uh, coming up next, miscellaneous thoughts. Let's talk a little bit about 
Evan Mobley. Let's talk about, really most importantly, who played and who didn't in the first half. Does that tell us anything? Let's talk about that coming up next. All right. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at FanDuel, the official sports book of Locked On and the America's number one sports book. FanDuel right now is allowing you to snap into the NFL season with this awesome offer. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's 200 in bonus bets, win or lose. So if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is super easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. And remember, check out everything NBA at FanDuel as well as that season and the Cavs season gets closer. All right, let's look at who played in the first half. I mean, here are the here are the guys who we saw play minutes in the first half. Again, Jared Allen obviously out with the ankle bruise. So just kind of assume I would guess he starts and get Damian Jones's minutes in, in this exercise. What? The hot take. Yeah. Hot, oh, it's a good start. Yeah. 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 Should they start as a mobile? Tristan Thompson, my column. I did enjoy Tristan, like just like doing very Tristan Thompson anything. It's like, ah, yes, this is just who this man is. All right. Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland, Max Drews, Karis Levert, Evan Moby. There's your starting five. Then it's Isaac Okoro, Damian Jones, George Nang, and Ty Jerome. That left. Ah. Uh, Dean Wade. Uh, who did not that, so who fast, my friend. Who did that Sharif forget? Cooper got two minutes and 25 seconds because it appeared Darius Garland tweaked his ankle for a split second at the yeah. end of the second quarter. Yeah. I just, that doesn't count. It doesn't count. He had, uh, golly, okay. he had it, one it, block it, shot in the first half. Thank you very much, sir. So, yeah, okay. But like, that is a guy on a training camp contract. He's going to do great things from the charge this year. As he did last year, he's a good player, just not uh, at that level. And then we'll All get right, so- YouTube comments in January asking why the Cavs haven't called him up. I'll be like, because he's Set small and can't defend the point of attack. There's the issue. All right, so there's the there's the guys, the five starters, the other guys coming up. What did you make of who played? And, and really, I think Dean Wade, kind of the most obvious guy who didn't play based on who played the first half. Um. I think Dean Wade was, yeah, the, the more obvious one. I think maybe Tristan Thompson as well, just because of the Jared Allen injury. Maybe JB is just leaning on vets at times. too. It's also preseason, so you really can't like read too much in the JB's thought process here. But um, more so the fact that maybe JB kept his rotations tight because Ty Jerome had four fouls in five minutes and 16 seconds. Sharif Cooper played briefly because Jerome had those five foul or four fouls rather. And Garland appeared to tweak something and they're like, all right, we're done for the night. Even though he's appears to be fine, at least just based on what's coming out of Atlanta tonight. But um, it's just more interesting to me that the, after saying like he plans on going like 11 deep at some nights, Bickerstaff kept it to about, eight dudes maybe nine if you consider the five minutes Jerome played within the rotation which is I guess an expansion of what Bakerstaff did or didn't do but I don't know I, I'm interested to see how much JV leans on some of the depth the Cavs do have at certain positions but yeah I am surprised Dean Wade didn't play who looked pretty all right um in the second half and he could have had the game-winning shot for Cleveland as well but it just didn't happen for the Cavs so I, I don't know. I, I'm interested to see how the rotations evolve going forward, but like eight, 
maybe nine guys uh, coming off the bench. At least somewhat lines up with what JB's saying, that he's going to lean on depth because he's traditionally like a 7-8 deep coach period. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see how it evolves. But what were, what were your thoughts on like the first half minute distribution? I, I think it's the guys that make sense. Like, I, I think just... That's valid. Like, you, they put, they put it, if again, to circle this back to what they did with the offense, what I think happened here and what you saw is saying, okay, like, we need to play certain guys to play to have us play a certain way. I think that's kind of the reality. It's like, okay, I, th- I think starting Karis Silvert is not really the move. I kind of just think he makes the most sense coming off the bench on this team. That's kind of the one thing that doesn't totally vibe with me. I think I would have just started Damian Jones. But I, I get for a preseason game why you just want to put Mobley at the five and, and let him go and let it work. I just think the guys who actually played, Niang, Okoro, for, for his specific niche role, Jerome is kind of the, eating the Rubio minutes as Rubio's still away from the team, Struess as the starter. Like, I think all of it just, like, it made sense for, for them to play the way we think they seemingly want to play these are the guys that need to play. Like, that's the roster. That This is the style of play you get when you play those guys. So I, I think it makes sense. I think you. I think what we could see during the year, Evan, is th- these 10, and then they throw an Allen, and it's like, okay, do we play a team where we need to play a second center? Then Damian Jones gets minutes. Do we need yeah. another guard? Ty Jerome gets minutes. I think that's where we're headed here. And then maybe Dean Wade gets, like, he, Dean Wade feels like he ends up in like the Lamar Stevens slot from last year where he plays some when injuries happen, but it's not a regular rotation piece. And maybe that goes hand in hand with like JB saying that when it came to playing 11 deep, like there, there's going to be situations where guys are just playing so well that you don't want to take them out of the off the floor or out of the rotation. And maybe Dean Wade, like you said, does fall into that role where there are injuries ahead of Dean Wade. So he naturally gets more minutes within the rotation but more than that um if he's just having like a hot shooting streak like he didn't have the shooting shirt on tonight that he wore off last season after the shoulder shoulder injury and i noticed during practice the other day that he was making more three-pointers than he was missing just with like with the standstill drills he was doing with the assistant coaches but if Dean Wade is able to tap into a little bit of that confidence and swagger that just vanished after that shoulder injury last year like he could be I don't want to say an X factor. Let's call him like a Z factor in terms of like X, Y, Z. Like that he could be a guy that if you threw five, six minutes his way, he's one, not going to be overwhelmed by the moment, but two, if he's able to provide you something positive on offense and be a neutral faction factor on defense, like, yeah, you give him more minutes. Like you see minutes from maybe Isaac Okoro or like in this scenario, just Wade becomes your 11th man on this night, or you find ways to like tinker with the lineups and work with it. but. I agree with your thought process is that you find minutes to work the 11th man, but like the one through 10, it seems to make sense when Allen is back in the fold because I mean, the guys I, we discussed a little bit, like it's Mitchell Garland, Mobley, Struess, we'll assume Allen there as well. Then you have Levert, um, Niang, Okoro, Jerome, and Jones coming off the bench. Like, yeah, that makes sense for a 10 man rotation with the 11th guy being like a bit of like, Okay, what do we need this night? So that, that that makes sense to me. Yeah, and I think we will see where, you know, if and when he comes back, what happens with Rubio. I mean, I, how he slots in and, and what do they do with him will play a part in this. Well, I think that's a veteran guy that the coaching staff will have an inclination to trust based on what I think we know about JB. So you'll see. This is going to be fun to monitor. I This team, like, first glance, Evan, I look at the 11, 
and 12 you include Rubio. And I think compared to last year, just on paper and just thinking about it a little bit as like a unit, it makes more sense to me than the depth that was there last year. Yeah, I wouldn't say the Cavs have an overabundance of depth at every position with the four. The, 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 the depth at the four spot can be a little unsettling, but like depending on what the Cavs eat at the spot, they can make do with what they have. But um, I mean, comparatively to last year, yeah, they're in a much better spot. That's just adding George Yang and Max Strews to the fold in this one. But yeah, they're in a much better spot comparatively to where they were at the start of last season or even the end of last season. And um, I would never say this roster is complete just because that's how the NBA works. But at least heading into this year, they're in a much better place than they were um, comparatively to the start of last season or even how things fizzled out against New York. Let's end there. I'm Chris Manning. That is Evan Dermal. Thanks again to Jake Stevens for his work on production. We'll be back at you on Thursday. Evan Mobley season preview. Going to be a fun one. New format for those season previews. As an aside, this is before um, Darvin Ham said Anthony Davis needs to take six three-pointers a game, so we did not bring this up in conversation. Might not have anyway. Hey, you know what? Say la vie. If, if Evan, if Evan, if if Anthony Davis to averages six three-pointers a game this year, I will take you to dinner. And if he doesn't, you don't have to do anything. But if he actually does it, I will take you to dinner. He still owe me dinner for my bachelor party, so I'll just cash in the two meals, I guess. Nah, you can't do two. Well, not, this is not a two-for-one. But you can spread them out. No, not, not gluttonous here. But, yeah, let's get rolling out of here. Thanks, everyone. See you uh, Friday morning after the cast play the Magic. Yeah, talk to you. Well, no, they're going to hear us Thursday at the mobile preview, and then we'll be back Friday after the magic game. We'll talk to you all. <laughs>